Beth, as we sit here recording on Monday, March 14th, let's just do a vibe check. Can we? Can we do a vibe check with ourselves? We can do that. And with the world. This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where we try to take a different approach to the news. Today, we're going to do an honest check-in on the state of the world and why it feels so impossibly hard to be a human and an American right now. Then we're going to keep our promise to follow the recovery efforts in western Kentucky after the December tornado and share a conversation I had with Jacob Ryan about the frustrating experiences so many are having with FEMA. And then last, we're going to share our thoughts on the very serious and very, very long new Batman movie. It's a journey today is what we're telling you. Lots of today's show revolves around our experiences in our home state of Kentucky, but we are excited to pack our bags soon and head to Texas, where we know many of you live and will be joining us on Saturday, April 30th for our big live show with Clint and Kelly Harp of HGTV fame. It's going to be a super fun night that doubles as a party for our book launch of Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything. You will not want to miss it. You can get tickets to the link in the show notes. They are reserved seats, so make sure that you head there now and get the seats that you want. And also, thank you to everyone who has started pre-ordering Now What? It means the world to us. We'll have a link in the show notes for you to do that as well. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Can we do a vibe check we with can ourselves do that. and with the world? My vibe is not great. There is a rampant stomach bug making its way across my community. It's daylight savings time is terrible. And there are just so many horrific stories in the news today between Russia's expansion of the war in Ukraine. I'm heartbroken about the pregnant woman in the picture that went around the world dying. Not to mention 
A super sad story about an Indian family dying on the border trying to cross from Canada in the United States. And the psychopath making his way around New York and Washington, D.C., shooting homeless men as they sleep. What is happening? What is happening? I have a similar vibe. Everything I clicked this morning was bad for me, even the things that were actually good news. Like I clicked on the CDC's county by county statistics to see where my county fell. And for the first time in the longest time, our transmission risk is low. We were still high when everybody else was low, but now we're low. And I didn't even know how to receive that information. I was happy about it, I guess. But it just felt like one input in this sea of inputs where everything is overwhelming, mostly out of my reach, pretty scary, really, in the big picture of things. I was having a conversation on Voxer with one of our executive producers, Katie, about what are the guiding principles about anything right now? Mm -hmm. And the only one that I could think of as really universal is something like survival. But survival is not universal when there's a war going on and countries are making decisions about how involved to get in that war. So, yeah, my vibe is not great as well. Not great. It's also horrific. I keep thinking about this email Nadia Boltz-Weber sent about, well, did we were we living through, like, the most peaceful, prosperous time and we didn't know it? And I think... Maybe, maybe that's what was happening, but it wasn't the most peaceful and prosperous time for people everywhere. Because I, I read that email and then I listened to Vareed Sakari on Ezra Klein's podcast talking about like the the United States has never had to prioritize before. We talked about this a little bit last week on our premium podcast. And I think, well, is that what it is? Was it just peaceful, prosperous for us because we didn't have any real competition on the global stage? Is this what it's felt like for the whole world, <laughs> the rest of the world, where... You do feel like powerlessness. Like there's a part of me like, am I am I feeling this because there's war or am I feeling this because of a, a lack of dominance? You know what I mean? Like, do I feel powerless because the events of the time would make anybody feel powerless? Or do is there mixed up in my perspective as an American, this sense of like powerlessness because we weren't always powerlessness and we got used to the idea of like we act, things change. And now we're acting and it doesn't feel like anything's changing. It's the opposite. It feels like it's getting worse. And I'm just struggling like that. If Is my perspective a global perspective or is it just, you know, infected with the privilege of being an American? Probably all of it. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that one thing, and I can only really speak for myself even because we have not all experienced everything the same way. I feel an acute awareness of consequences informing Mm -hmm. everything I read right now. So I read a story about Ukraine. I especially watch any kind of video from Ukraine, and I'm trying to be careful about even clicking those because I know how much bad information is out there. But anytime I get into the circumstances on the ground as they are unfolding, I can feel every bit of like, 1997 Beth roaring out like why aren't we fixing this why aren't Mm -hmm. we sending every resource that we have there to say this is wrong and we will not tolerate it and it will end today but a lot has happened between now and then right where we see how intractable it becomes once you do interfere and you start to wonder who is being helped and who is being harmed by our actions I watch leaders in the United States. I don't know if I should call them leaders or candidates. That's a question I've been struggling with this year. But I watch people in positions of power in the United States talk about all of this. And I have such an awareness of the way that they talked about COVID and the very real consequences of how we talked about COVID, which makes me feel even more reticent in talking about Ukraine. I just have this sense that Any certainty introduced into a climate where people are so polarized and so frayed and motivated by so many different things at levels that are both conscious and unconscious, I just feel stuck because of my awareness of all of the the consequences of things. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's an excellent way to describe it because I think that's the sort of torturous aspect of this moment. Are the consequences keep increasing 
and our control over the outcome keeps decreasing. I can't listen to anybody else try to explain Vladimir Putin to me. I cannot because there's we're never going anywhere. Even Fiona Hill, who I think is like incredibly intelligent and smart. And at the end of her interview, I was like, you didn't tell me anything helpful. But like, that's not her job. You know, I just it feels like I want, you know, I want to know the right thing to do. And I think that's the the training of our polarization, right? Is like there's this path in our brain that says, we know the right thing to do that would fix this problem. It's our way, not their way. But that doesn't apply right now. Like there's no our way, not their way with Russia. That That's not going to help anything. Like, no, there's some things we shouldn't be doing. Like, oh, I don't know, creating content for use by the Russian government, Tucker Carlson, but that's not going to even if Tucker Carlson shut up tomorrow and, and you know, changed his stripes like that's not going to fix this. And I think that's the other thing, too, is like we're we're in this spot where promises about the future are either non-existent or sound so empty, which makes a current moment of like electioneering even more empty. I don't want to hear your promises. <laughs> Get out of here mm-hmm. with that. Like, who are you? How could you even tell? How could you even try to say something right now about what you're going to do that's going to fix it. Like, it just, it sounds so hollow. I totally agree. I was listening to a podcast over the weekend, and someone I really respect said on the podcast, let's talk about who's winning in Ukraine. And I picked up my phone and looked at it, like, right in the face like my phone was a child. <laughs> I thought you got to throw it across the room. <laughs> and I said, no one. That is not a thing. That is not a thing in a war. And, and that's, that is this shift that I feel in my brain because I very easily could have been in a who is winning in Ukraine space at a different time in my life. But right now, all I see is cascading tragedy for years mm-hmm. into the future. I read an analysis this morning of uh, it was a critique of the administration and President Biden saying constantly that we will not go to World War III over Ukraine. And the critique was, you are hurting American leverage in negotiations. You're hurting NATO leverage in negotiations by putting down this list of what you won't do, that that negotiations are aided classically. You teach this in first year, you know, seminars about this stuff by maximalist positions that you can then walk back from. And I thought, How's that been working for us? Are yeah. are we happy with the classical rules of international order? I don't know how to assess some of those public statements from President Biden about this. What I do continue to think is, listen, they're they're trying a different way that I hope is informed by a lot of experiences that have not gone well. And the only way I know how to make things better is to make them different. And so while this doesn't feel like a winning strategy, perhaps nothing would because winning is just not available here. It is it is more akin to like a Chapter 11 bankruptcy where you say something's gone horribly wrong here and everybody who touches this is going to suffer in some way. And the best we can do is trying to minimize the suffering and make the suffering happen in a way that's as fair as possible under the circumstances. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like either thing is happening right now. It doesn't feel like there's any minimize of suffering. It sounds like Vladimir Putin's only strategy is maximize suffering for everyone. And it's just so hard to witness it, be in the same moment as it, Try to move forward in your life, understanding that there's always been suffering and violence in the world. It's just it feels torturous in a in a real way. And I don't, you know, in in the way like the pandemic felt, yeah, there was really torturous parts of it, and it was hard and and there was a failure of leadership, and you could definitely do that like you do it differently, and that's how we'd fix it. Even though I think deep down now, two years out, we can look back and say, like, there were some flaws in that reasoning because there were parts of the world that were doing it differently. and We're not escaping the consequences that we were. It just it was a it was an abstract. It was a virus. And it felt like beyond our control in a way that at least eased the psychic burden in some ways, increased them in others, but eased it in some. This feels just so different and hard in a way that you're just looking at something that did not have to be, did not have to be, and is continuing when it shouldn't. And 
I think that sense of powerlessness is not something we're used to here in this country. And this moment in human history, I think, is teaching us, like, it's it's probably an emotion we need to get used to. Because we were never really, we were never in the driver's seat of global affairs in the way we thought we were. While there are, are phases of human history and world history, they're never permanent. And this one won't be either. That's the only thing I can take, you know, a modicum of comfort in, is that the only thing permanent is change. And this will not stay the same way forever. Might get worse, might get better, but it's not going to stay the same. How does it affect that feeling that you're exploring, Sarah, to know that some of American powerlessness in Ukraine is a choice? We mm. do have military might that we are not bringing to the table here for reasons, but it is a chosen restraint. It is not akin to what other countries experience because we could go in and escalate this rapidly and perhaps put it away rapidly. It would be awful for some time, and there would be enormous risk. But I don't think there's any question that we have greater military might than Russia does, especially if we engage with our allies. And I think that's been the the most positive thing I will say about the Biden administration's approach to this conflict is that they have coordinated with partners mm-hmm. in a way that I think has been very strategic and very thoughtful and important. So I don't think there's any question that if we brought more to the table, we would see a a faster outcome. I don't know that it would be a better outcome, but I think it would be a faster outcome. So I just does that change anything in your analysis or how are you thinking through that decided restraint that we're living in right now? Yes, we have greater military might. But I think any analysis that says. You know. This would be even a faster outcome. Like this would change the game. I don't know. I just I think that's foolish because in the same way Russia outpowered Ukraine, but Ukraine has much more to fight for. We would outpower Russia, but they have much more to fight for. There's not like we don't have, again, lots of you know historical examples of where we mightily outweighed an opponent in a military conflict and still did not walk away with an outcome that anybody expected and most certainly no one hoped for. So I just think the idea that like we could roll in there and change the game. I mean, how many times do we have to learn that lesson that Mm -hmm. it doesn't work like that? And not only does it not work like that in any way that's sort of assured, the risks are enormous, just enormous. And so I just I don't I am not tempted or persuaded that us entering this conflict would in any way, shape or form decrease suffering. There are two other things you said that I want to go back to. One of them was about that uh, abstract sense of the virus versus the more concrete villain in Vladimir Putin. I keep thinking about, especially as I watch polling and I've said this in several places now. I really do not like polling about this topic. But as I watch the polling and I see the convergence of public opinion for a brief moment in time, at least, around the idea that we support Ukraine, that we do not support Putin, that Ukraine is an ally, that Putin is an adversary. I wonder why it is that that concrete villain for a conflict that is still remote as to us is bringing people together when an abstract, call it villain, in the virus with very direct and immediate consequences for us divided us. Why is it that the thing that was closer to home was harder for us to coalesce around some kind of narrative versus the thing farther away? I don't think they were direct and immediate. I think that's the problem. Not until Omicron. You know, I spent months and months and months in a community that had like less than 100 infections, much less deaths. So I think like the the government impact, like the government's management of public health impacted our lives. But the virus did not for like a year. Not where I lived. I'm just being honest. And so I think that that's what was so hard is it still like the actual virus's impact in our lives still felt abstract for a long time. And then by the time it felt real, those identities surrounding the virus 
we're pretty formed, pretty well formed and articulated in people's brains. And so they're not going that that's a hard thing to undo. Although it did. I mean, I watched it with my father. He had some pretty well formed political identities around COVID until he lost two friends in a week to Delta and then got vaccinated. So I just think that that's, you know, in some ways it's everywhere and impacts us. And in some ways it didn't. It was this weird paradoxical experience. And I think, it, you know, as we sit here and think back to how we handle the pandemic and what could happen next with the war in Ukraine, it, it's just this perpetual sense of, you know, being tossed around by the winds of change. And it's disorienting. I think it's just going to stay disorienting. I do think there was some truth in what Nadia Boltz Weber said, that there was, for at least Americans, this moment where the world was out there and our lives stayed the same. And, you know, even if it's because of the prices we pay at the pump or at the store, it's just no longer true. Like, we feel the impact. We're all tied up so closely together across the globe that we feel the impact of that. I do feel good about the next conversation we're going to have coming out of this not terribly encouraging vibe check, which is I sat down with a local reporter in my community who's been following the recovering cleanup efforts in western Kentucky. When the tornado swept through Mayfield and Princeton and Dawson Springs, we pledged here at Prancy Politics to continue to follow that story. And that's what we're going to do. The people in my community have started applying for FEMA grants which has exposed, you know, a side of that government process that I had not experienced before. I know many of you who've experienced natural disasters across the country have. So we wanted to follow up and check in with how our part of the country is doing and wanted to share that conversation with all of you. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space. 
to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash pantsuit. I am here with Jake Ryan from WKMS, a reporter that I invited on here to talk to me and the Pansy Politics community because we are very committed to the Mayfield and Western Kentucky community affected by the tornadoes. And we want to keep following the story because, you know, you know, there's a lot of national media attention after a natural disaster, but the story is definitely not over. You recently wrote about FEMA applications and how that process is playing out in Kentucky. So tell us, uh, tell us about that. So, yeah, like you said, after the tornadoes came through, uh, there was lots of coverage about kind of the, the damage that was done and, you know, the lives that were lost and kind of that process. But then we knew that there would still be lots of stories to tell about the rebuilding process and the recovery process. And so, uh, this was a couple weeks ago, and it was basically two months after the tornadoes had come through. We decided to look at the number of people that had asked FEMA for assistance and the number of people that actually got FEMA assistance because in the past couple of years, there's been a pretty focused attention on FEMA and the lack of the, the low number of people that actually get FEMA assistance with other disasters across the country. The Washington Post has reported on this. NPR has reported on this. FEMA has actually been under criticism from some congressional committees because of this. And so we looked at FEMA's data and found uh, pretty much the same thing here in Kentucky. A very, very small number of people that had applied for FEMA aid had been approved for FEMA aid. We found across the state in the counties that were affected by the tornado that were deemed a disaster, uh, it was it was 87% of the people that had applied were denied FEMA assistance. And it's a big number. And it's, it's important to keep into it, like you know, to remember that this is not the the end of the road, right? This was just right before, at the time when we were reporting this, the deadline to apply for aid was approaching. The day we published this, I believe they moved the deadline back a month, so there's still time for people to apply. There's still an appeals process, so if you have been denied FEMA aid, you have 60 days from the date of your denial to appeal that decision. And so the experts I talked to said these numbers will go up but they don't expect them to go up very much. Uh, most disasters you look at, it's about a 25% approval rate. Right now, or when we reported this story, which was earlier this month, it was about a 13 or 14% approval rate. And we, you know, we took out some of the applications when we looked at this. Um, a couple thousand, two, almost 2,000 people had their applications withdrawn, either voluntarily they did this or FEMA withdrew their application. Um, so we didn't include that in the analysis, but a number of people, I mean, 4,300 people, they were listed as ineligible just because FEMA could not contact them for an inspection or they missed their inspection. And um, so that's a whole other issue too. But yeah, so yeah, to the point, like very few people were getting FEMA aid. Yeah, I had no idea the approval percentage was so low. From, from your reporting or like just talking to people on the ground, how many people are really dependent on the FEMA? Like how many people are solely looking to FEMA for aid or do people, is there lots of other sources that people are looking to? It's tough to know just how many people I talked to several people, like a lot of people I found through Facebook, there's a lot of Facebook support groups and stuff like that where several yeah. thousand people are. And, you know, you see just browsing through there, you see a lot of complaints about FEMA. And I think that one of the issues that we found was uh, a real big breakdown in the expectations compared with the reality of what was being delivered. Because after the tornado came in, you know, President Biden went to Dawson Springs and FEMA, you know, came to town. And so there was an expectation that, you know, things were going to be okay. FEMA was going to help people rebuild. All you had to do was apply and you would get help. But in reality, that's been, 
it's just not the case, right? I mean, most right. people are being denied. A lot of people have homeowner's insurance, so they're going to get denied because they have homeowner's insurance. Or people had trouble getting all the documentation that was needed. Uh, some people I talked to in Bowling Green that maybe rented an apartment or were subletting an apartment. Their name wasn't on the lease, so there was complications in proving that you actually live there. And there is some element of fraud also. I talked to some people who hadn't applied but got a letter saying that they'd been denied. You know, a lot of people I talked to, they thought that FEMA would help make them whole. You know, they weren't making, they weren't looking to get rich or come out ahead of where they were. But even the people I talked to with insurance, they were hoping that FEMA would fill the gap between what insurance would do and then what else they would need. Because insurance is limited, you know. I mean, insurance doesn't right. do things outside of your house or with trees or with, you know, other things that aren't, you know, your living space. Well, and I've heard around town, like, people are saying that a lot of people were underinsured because the cost of everything has gone up. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's a whole, and, and, and people I've talked to, you say insurance companies are, you know, just sticklers to some extent, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It can be, it can be a slog to mess with insurance. Um, but then FEMA also, they don't really cover, they don't cover these things either, you know? So you have to, get your claim from your insurance and then, uh, you know, allow that to be processed and then submit that to FEMA. So if you are underinsured, there is a chance that you can get some, but then it's like, you have to stick with it. You know, you have to stick yeah. with it and you have to appeal. And it's just the process is, is confusing because luckily in Kentucky, we don't have that many major disasters to this scale where people are, you know, where they can really, they, they know how to navigate the FEMA system. So it's, a, it's really new for a lot of people, too. Well, I think that's what's so hard. I, I think you're asking people who've been something through something really difficult, who are stressed and overwhelmed to navigate this very complicated process. Do you see in the Facebook groups like sort of like a group effort? This is what worked for me. This is let me see if I can help you. Like, are the, is there any sort of like it's almost like you need like a, a FEMA coach or a like insurance coach, somebody who can help you navigate this process? Yeah, there's a lot of that. One of the first people I talked to was a woman that lived in in Fancy Farm, and she had spent her life working for the Social Security Administration. So she like knew how the federal government worked. And so she applied for FEMA aid kind of just to see what it was like, because she had some damage to um, a detached well outside of her house. The electrical box in her well had been damaged. And so she didn't have water inside her house, so she applied for FEMA aid. And she was denied because that wasn't her house, right? But even though it supplied water to her house. But she did it just to see, like, because she just wanted to see what it was like. It was just a few hundred dollars to fix that. She was going to get, like, a you know, a family friend to do it. So and after that, after she'd seen how complicated it could be, um, she decided that she was like, she was like, I want to set up a shop or something like that to help people. So there's lots of people in the Facebook group saying, like, here's what worked for me here's, you know, here's a trick. Here's something you might figure out. And everyone I talked to, like in Bowling Green, like everyone was like, yeah, it's the community that's helping us. You know what I'm saying? It's that like word of mouth or the churches or the donation centers or like Boy Scout troops or something like that. That's like the, uh, the big help here. Whereas FEMA is like, there's, there's a, a running joke. It seems like on some of these pages that like, if you're looking for like, it would be a better story if you found someone that actually got help. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not like, I mean, this is just because there's just so many people that are frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other like sort of stories you're watching or trends you're watching as far as like, I I'm still wondering what happened to all the bottle, the mountain of bottle of water I saw outside of the Mayfield Fairgrounds, like just the the influx of supplies I know was a big deal at the beginning. Yeah. And I went to Bowling Green, there was the old Cumberland Trace Elementary School is like a donation center now. And uh, I was, uh, I mean, there's the, every room is just full of stuff. You know, they've got it organized by room. So there's just a lot of stuff. You know, there's there's rumors on like the Facebook pages about what is going to happen to the supplies or what is happening to the supplies. I don't know any, I don't know if any of these things are true, but um, no, I don't know where, I don't know much about the supplies. It does seem like it's gotten a little bit better organized and they've been able to store it, but still you have to distribute it at some point. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. So what's your sense of just the 
sort of the the community spirit like are people like finding a path forward helping each other we talked about the lady helping people with FEMA applications but just like being on the ground in Bowling Green or being in Fancy Farm being in Mayfield what's your sense of of how people are coping and how people are moving forward uh, yeah I mean the people I talked to had that sense of like you know digging in and going to do what they have to do to rebuild I guess people are helping a lot of people. Um, I mean, there's been stories of people trying to loot. I mean, a lot of people are like, the looters came right after the storm, but now we're trying to help people. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I'm not, it didn't didn't surprise me, you know, like that people are trying to help each other. It was, it's such extreme disaster. I mean, it's like, it's, you can't explain it. Right. And so I think people just felt a sense of like, we have to help out, you know? Um, and that's what has helped a lot of people. Like some of the, I interviewed one woman in Bowling Green and she lived like in the, you know, one of the really hard hit areas there and her roof collapsed the next day and she's living with her, 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 her dad now who lives just outside of Bowling Green in Alveton with her two young kids and her husband. And, um, but she's very thankful, right? I mean, everyone I talked to was very thankful to be alive and, you know, to have the support that they do have, but she was like you know, just the outpouring of support from like her church, you know what I'm saying? Like people would like pick up groceries for her or like give her, you know, some clothes for her kids and stuff like that. Like she didn't ask for this stuff. It just kind of happened. And and she said it in an interesting way that was like, it made, it made her question, like, would I do this? You know, like, cause there was so much, she was like, I don't know. Like, would I be willing to, you know, go do all this stuff for somebody I didn't know because she didn't really know. I mean, she knew some of the people, but it was just like strangers, just like helping out, you know. And when I, when I was in the Bremen Firehouse, which is like the mayor of Bremen in Muhlenberg County, his he just had like a desk set up in the firehouse. It was really like a like a command center, you know. He had like a big map spread out. But then like some guy came in and was just like tossed a couple of gift cards. And he was like, here, just for whoever could use it. You know what I'm saying? I think it was like an Amazon wow. card and stuff like that. So it's just like, yeah, it's just like the trickle of help is just like not not stopping you know what i'm saying so because it's going to be long i mean this is just the beginning you know fema it's just applications the actual process of rebuilding especially when building anything takes so long right now because of supply chain delays and all that i think we're just at the very beginning yeah I, I, yeah that's like one thing that yeah it's just like how do you go about it when it's on such a scale that needs to be rebuilt and um and how long will that actually take Man, it's, it's crazy, though. I mean, it's a crazy story. Because, um, like, I mean, people I talked to, like, the experts were like, oh, yes, that's very unfortunate, but it's not unusual. Yeah. When the president rolls to town, you're like, okay, we're going to get some help. But it's just been... And FEMA, does, I mean, FEMA's like, listen, this is not our job. This is not our job to make you whole. You know, we're here to give critical services. And I think that the um, the, the long-term message of FEMA, people expected something different, you know? It's like people were just like, I thought it would be different. <laughs> I don't know. I read some crazy stories after Hurricane Katrina. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And after the fires, there's been some stories about after the fires in California. Not a quick process, whether the federal government's involved or not. It's not a quick process. You're right. And um, and it's very, yeah, it's very tough. So, But, you know, Katrina is like a lot of people point to Katrina because there was, you know, apparently a lot of fraud during the Katrina time, right? And so there was an overhaul of the system to really to, to tamp down the fraud. That's what really led to the high denials, denial rates. Because if you look before before Katrina, it was in the 60, you know, approval rates were up in the 60 percent, you know what I'm saying? And after Katrina, it's really dropped down wow. because there's such a, a focus on the fraud that it has left people struggling to actually get the help that they that they need. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show. I really appreciate it. No problem. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, 
And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. so much to Jacob Ryan for joining us on the show and having that conversation with me. Now we're going to take a hard turn because Lord knows we need it. Over the weekend, Beth, Chad, Nicholas, and I gathered in Nashville for a little bit of a couple's retreat to do some business regarding pantsuit politics. But we also took a moment and went and saw Batman. It was not a moment. It was many, many many moments of my life with this, the I'm sorry, the Batman with Robert Pattinson as the Cape Crusader. Well, I think the Batman is a good starting place because I feel like what happened with this movie is everybody said, okay, team, this franchise has not taken itself seriously enough. And we're going to mm. fix that with this movie. We're going to call it the Batman. We're going to make it forever long. We're going to yes. include multiple villains plus extra mobsters for good measure. We're going to follow the longing, depressive gaze of Robert Pattinson for as many minutes as we possibly can. And it was brutal. Here's what Chad said yesterday when we called our friend Derek, who we process all pop culture things with. He said, I really liked Robert Pattinson as Batman, and I thought he was terrible as Bruce Wayne. Mm, I thought that was a really good point about how this went down. Yeah, he was a little, he was like emo Bruce Wayne, which is not my jam. It was joyless. The whole thing was joyless. There wasn't oh, yeah. a moment like, of comic relief. A joke, nothing. Yeah. And it's so long, you guys. It's three hours. But like the critics like it, and I don't really understand why. People like Robert Pattinson as Batman. Nicholas 
And many of the like reviews we were listening to and reading, like they're all excited that he has returned as the world's greatest detective. Let me just, you know, disrespect this canon as much as I possibly can. I think that's dumb. And let me tell you why. The whole point of a detective is that they use their brain and not brawn. That's the point of the archetype of detective, right? I'm pretty sure it is. I just read Agatha Christie Murder on the Orient Express. Really feel like that's the idea. So I don't know why I need a detective who also beats the crap out of people and has all the fancy gadgets. I think it's stupid. I don't get it. Like, spy, James Bond, brawn brain, makes sense to me. Get it. I got it. I'm on board. Detective, as a as a big old brawny beating the crap out of people, I don't. But why, why do we need you to use your brain to solve the clues if you're just going to beat the crap out of people? I have a different perspective on this. I don't think detective is the right word because he's not really solving the case, following clues, building a story the way a detective would. He's playing a game set by the villains. It's like puzzles instead of detective work. Well, the villain is named. The, the Riddler. Riddler, right. But I think that's what they call, like, I think that was like a, a tagline, the world's greatest detective, like, yeah. especially in the TV show. And I agree with you. I don't like that. Dumb. But I do think rich guy who has lots of gadgets as a great puzzle solver makes a lot of sense. What I loved about the old Batman TV show, and I mean way back when, like for Christmas one year, my Aunt Liz recorded on the on a VHS tape many, many episodes of Old Batman and gave them to me. And I wore those things out. I loved them. My dad and I watched them together. It's pure camp. What's so great about it is that there's a little bit of a joke always, and Batman is kind of in on the joke. Like, his self-seriousness is still kind of joyful because he's a little bit in on the joke. And I don't like the movies. I should hope so. He's wearing a bat costume. Well, exactly. And and that's why I don't like the movies going full darkness and pure seriousness and no joy because then you can't have the joke anymore. And it is just kind of dumb. It is this like, I'm super powerful, but also I'm going to take a second and stare at this card and, and work the cipher. I mean, it's dumb. It's, it's a long, hard three hours Ugh. when Batman takes himself completely seriously and Bruce Wayne is a sad sack. And that's what Bruce Wayne is in this Batman. Yeah, I like it. Definitely enjoy the more, like, sexy Bruce Wayne. At least that gives you some relief when you get, like, Playboy Bruce Wayne. I'm here for that. I'm here for, like, I like Christian Bale. I think that was my probably my most favorite Batman I really liked those Nolan one Nolan versions of the Batman movies. I thought when he like went away to the Batcave and trained. I love to see how we got from orphan to Batman. Yes, please. I thought that was great. I'm also just maybe running low on patience for superhero origin stories about mean daddies. I got a lot of mean daddy in my life. I'm fully into season three of Succession. So I'm probably like full up on the villains and superheroes with daddy issues, to be honest. Or anybody with daddy issues, because I'm having to manage all four Roy siblings' daddy issues right now. So, I don't know. It just—I also think we just get spoiled with Marvel. They do a lot of this really, really well. They're not not flawless, you know. ScarJo's boring. It's not her fault. But like, there—it's just you come into something like this and you're like, why? And you realize yeah. how hard it is. What like Robert Downey Jr. does—that he can bring that joyfulness and the play and the. But also, like, say, like, this guy's struggling with some stuff. Like, that's hard. That's hard to do. This really needed some Marvel oomph. That that Oof. lightness that that we're in on the joke, too, and we're all ultimately having fun here. But it can be complicated fun. And it can stretch across multiple movies kind of fun. To me, the one point of light in this movie was Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. Oh, I thought she great. was a delight. I would watch a whole movie about her. I did think she had, uh, like, you could see where there was the potential of humor with her because of her sarcasm. Mm -hmm. She was very sexy and, like, brought some heat and, and did bring, and I think Nicholas said this, like, there was genuine chemistry yeah, between chemistry. her and Robert Pattinson. So I really, really liked her, and I thought that was by far the best choice made in putting this thing together. 
Lord, but save your time. And also, you like, three hours of your life back. Our seats were very uncomfortable. The popcorn was kind of stale. Like, people bailed in the movie. People were, like, laughing. Yes. Because it was just getting so ridiculous at certain points. Like, not in on the joke. Just, like, are you kidding me? The woman next to Chad, like, took a phone call during the movie. Just sat and chatted on her cell phone. And it was, like, fine. It didn't. We weren't upset. (laughs) Yeah, go go for it, friend. On the other side of things, can I tell you really quick that I went to see John Mulaney last night. And on the way in, they took your cell phones and put them in those packs Mm -hmm. where you cannot access them at they all. did when we saw Ali Wong too. It was like a sociological experiment watching people because they asked us to get there almost two hours before the show started, and a lot of Why? us complied close. We we weren't there a full two hours in advance, but we got there early because they asked us to. And I know some of it was so that they could package the cell phones up so Goodness that we wouldn't gracious. be stuck in security forever. Watching people in an arena where they don't have their phones, nobody knows what time it is, you're waiting for something to start. Oh, my gosh. It was fascinating. Chad well, that's a, why. They're priming you to laugh because you're also desperate with awkward energy. I think that could be. I do think that they were trying to sell more alcohol, too, honestly. Chad and I had a really good time watching this couple, like, almost in the very front row. I named them Price and Caitlin and decided that they're getting married in July. Price is not so sure about it, but they're in pretty deep now. And Caitlin owns a little boutique fashion store. Like, I had a whole vibe with them, and it was really fun. But... It, it was interesting to see what happens. I was I kind of liked not having my phone except for not knowing what time it is. That made me feel bananas. Did you not have a watch on? No. Who wears a watch? Me. Every day. I don't day. wear a watch ever for any reason. I love no. watches. I have like six. I'm it bothers my person. wrist. It feels like it just feels like it's something in my way all day, like an obstacle to my life, the watch. Your watch is not – you don't have a well-fitting watch. Mm. That's the problem here. Maybe. Maybe we'll do another segment someday where I where I find some watches for you to try on. Maybe Instagram Live is coming your way, everybody. Okay. Okay. Anything to distract. Anything to distract at this point. My heart is open to the possibility of a watch after that experience. There we go. There we go. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you'll join us in Waco, Texas, at the end of April to celebrate the launch of our second book and. Spend some time with Clint Harp. Don't forget to follow that link in the show notes for tickets. Thanks for hanging with us today. We will be back in your ears on Friday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. Tawny Peterson, Tracy Putoff, Sarah Ralph, Jeremy Sequoia, Katie Steigers, Karen True, Annika Uveline, Nick and Elisa Valelli, Catherine Vollmer, Amy Whited, Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Ashley Thompson, Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Morgan McHugh, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.